Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Ciceri. Today, it gives me great pleasure to be able to interview Nick Lynch. And Nick is one of my favorite supply chain leaders. He leads global transformation at Shell. And, you know, Nick says that Shell's a lot like, you know, bottling a soft drink uh, because it starts with a base oil and we just add additives. But, Nick, welcome to the show. Hi, Laura. Thanks very much. So, Nick, one of the things that I love about you is that you have the courage to drive change. And I'd love to have you share with the group about change management, leading a global program, and how to have people to challenge their own paradigms. There's a lot to go out there, Laura. There's a lot of, a lot of thought and a lot of questions um, in there. I think change in supply chain is absolutely necessary. I think the, the world of supply chain, no matter what industry you're in, I'm in the lubricant industry within, within the shell business, but whether you're making beer, whether you're making paint, or whether you're, you're in foodstuffs, the world of supply chain is more complex. It's harder to forecast, it's harder to plan, the business challenges are getting tougher, the business objectives um, through cost or working capital become tougher and tougher each year. So it's imperative that we are not complacent. We cannot just keep working the same way year on year expecting to create better results year on year, which is what our what our stakeholders want, it might be what the city wants, or it could be what the you know the customers want. So it's utterly, utterly important in my mind that we that we look for opportunities, we look for innovation, and if necessary, we have the courage or the conviction to be able to make some bold changes, to leave behind you know, maybe some practices which in some cases have been around for many, many years. Entire industries, consulting industri- industries, um, practices are basically set up and thriving in, in the old ways of working. And sometimes there are opportunities to do something different. And in, in the last seven or eight years, I've had some, some great opportunities to really push forward with things like demand sensing, which made a great difference in the world of a forecast-driven supply chain by tightening up, tightening up the, uh, the forecast signals. But in, in, in recent years, I realized that you can't keep working in that way. You, you reach a limit. The, the, the low-hanging opportunities are gone. The targets still get tougher and tougher each year. So what do you do? Uh, and in the last three and a half years, you know, we've been leading a, um, a really transformational change in the shell lubricant business to move into a demand-driven supply chain as opposed to the traditional forecast-driven supply chain that we had you know, f- practically forever in many, many industries. And you spoke about that at the conference around implementation of not only demand sensing but DDMRP and uh, demand-driven MRP changes the whole demand translation into material requirements with buffer strategies and looking at really the predictability of mm-hmm. the order. Yeah. What was that transformation like and how did you change the mindset? Because that requires some real unlearning because MRP, by <coughs> definition, was a transactional system and yeah, yeah. dealt with data very black and white. And uh, you know, Yeah, and it's a tough one. That there is definitely a lot to unlearn before you can learn the new. So you have to sort of let go of some sacred cows of how MRP works and how supply chain should work with forecasts and SNOP and transactions. And implementing DDMRP shares you know, much of the same DNA. You know, it's still transactional, it still uses inventory, but uses it differently. 
it still uses bills of materials and lead times and MOQs. So all of the all of the things that you would recognise in a supply chain. These are truths in our supply chain, but it uses them differently. And when you make a change to something that operates differently, that is a genuine paradigm shift, there are many, many aspects of change management and supporting the business that you have to work with to make that happen. The things that I, I think have worked well in the, in the Shell Lubes example is early engagement with the business. Bring them along with the thought process, allow them to think it through, allow them to see the benefits, test the benefits, simulate, check what would happen if we were to do this. Every big change you make, particularly if it's an investment required, in today's world, the city expects, our leaders expect, quite rightly so, we must perform. That's what the, the businesses are there for. So you have to be sure that whatever project or initiative or paradigm shift you want to make, you have to be sure that it's going to deliver. And I think you can do that through, through simulation, through test, through case study, through pilot, through proof of concept. There are many ways to do that. And we certainly use those methods to help us reach a decision point around DDMRP. But that's not the end of the story. There is a big change. There is education. There is leadership. There is inspiring people to jump on board with the new train, to sort of take a, take a leap of faith because somebody's got to be first and somebody's got to believe that moving in a different direction, which is new, which is different from the previous 20 years of direction, that requires a lot of keeping keeping the conversation going, giving people the, the education, the, the ability to challenge, the ability to question, and to work with them to work through that. And I think that's, that's really the journey that we've been on, and that's um, something that we will continue to be on. Well, in listening to your case study, there were a couple of things that stood out for me, and I'll just throw them out there for your comment. One was the fact that you simulated to give them some real-world kind of examples, mm. and when they challenged you, you brought back more simulations yep. for the regions. The second thing is the investment in training, uh, where you actually took people through the training yes. and the onboarding. Yes. And the third was you just have a great way of explaining things. I mean, you know, and your sense of humor and your knowledge of the business. When I play those things back for you, what resonates? Uh, you know, what would you tell others about how to drive such a major change transformation? Because this was big dollars and yeah, savings. Yeah. 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 Well, I think the simulation piece, to pick your first one, I mean, if truth be known, I was always wanting to take three data points. Don't make a decision on one data point. That's, that's, that's not sensible. But, you know, doing simulations, you, you know, you've got to invest in those things. You, you don't do them for free. You, it takes several weeks. You need to visit the facilities and check that the simulations are valid. So we did one. It worked. We did the other two. So simulating to test the viability of a new way of working, absolutely vital. So that, that's absolutely clear. And I think um, bringing people along with that journey, you know, by being enthusiastic, committed, leading from the front. So making sure that I understood it. So many, in many cases in supply chain, leadership don't really understand how stuff works. Uh, and if you're going to make change with stuff that you don't understand, that can be quite risky. That can have unintended consequences. So it was really important as the, as the, the, the leader in the planning excellence area within the Shell Lubes business that I understood what this meant. Because if I understood, it meant that I'd gone through the journey of unlearning my history, my experience of the last number of years. And if I could do that, then I could lead by example and help people. Because the very same questions that I asked, how does this work? Why does that work differently? It feels counterintuitive. Ah, but, what if? 
if I ask those questions, I can guarantee that the the business audience that I was wanting to influence, the the, the practitioners, the the folks in the planning teams, the folks in operations, they would ask the same questions as well. So by acknowledging and being a little humble about it and saying, hey, this is new, but don't worry, I've been looking at this and I asked exactly the same question. And what I found was when you do this and you release some capacity, like I said this afternoon in the, in the group session, if you release capacity by not making the stuff that you don't want, that allows you the freedom to be more agile and make the stuff that you do need that might be an urgent customer order or it might be something disruptive coming through your business, you have a better ability to respond in those examples. And I think when you make it real for a business, base your change in reality rather than in theory book, then I think that becomes much easier for a business to adopt the change. Well, and us supply chain gals and guys are really in the real world and we like reality versus academic discussion. And this has been, what, two and a half years or so that you've been on this journey? Uh, nearly three and a half years. Okay, nearly all right. 2015. Yeah. And so, you know, it took a lot of persuasion. And I love your humility because I think so many times supply chain leaders, you know, speak in academic terms or they force people to do things. And, you know, the fact that you were able to sell it through simulation and testing and bringing people along with you, I think is great kudos to you. Anything about that that you learned uh, that you would share? I think the education piece was, was a double-sided thing for us because I think the, the selling and the engagement from um, some of the regions was so good and so positive, they actually trained well in advance of when they were actually going to get the system and go live, and that's a, that's a great problem to have. But it does mean that if you train too early on something, then by the time the train comes around to your country or your plant, it might be a little too early, and so you might have forgotten what you learned. So timeliness and appropriateness of the training to, to tackle the audience at the right time in the implementation is something which you know I would recommend we you know we think about that a little more closely but I also think make training real um, you know I, 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 I we've put probably nearly 300 people through the formal training now and I think in in supply chain in industries not in all industries but I think training can often be overlooked I don't think we do a good job of onboarding people. I think people change jobs and they just get, you know, they sit at the desk and say, right, crack on with that job. You're now doing, you're now doing material planning, not supply planning, you know. And I think, I, I think the, the adoption of the DDMRP and the, the DDP and the DDL training courses gave us a really good opportunity to demonstrate to the, to the, to the business, the practitioners, the planning managers, the planners in the, the different country teams that, no, we really do back this and we back you to learn this. So here, is your, here are your days to learn this, and if you want to go all the way and do the exam and get the external certificate, that's great because that will be on your CV. This thing is going to transform supply chain, so this is a good thing for you in the future. So I think there's a, you know, there are some positive ways of handling that. You know, a story that I associate with Nick, and I actually heard this story about a decade ago. Uh, you gave a presentation at a user conference and you were talking about the implementation of sales and operations planning and you were trying to bridge the differences between operations teams and commercial teams and you renamed IBP, IBV and integrated business value versus integrated business planning and the nuance of that I did not really fully appreciate until you know maybe now I'm a little older and a little wiser but I'd love for you to tell that story mm. to the audience. The, the, the story actually goes back quite a long way because my, in my 
former career, I spent a good number of years at SmithKline Beecham, and then when that became GlaxoSmithKline. And, and SmithKline had a, a fairly well-recognised and fairly groundbreaking in the time, this was in the 1990s, process called consensus forecasting. And this was one of the first implementations where volume and value were reconciled in the forecasting process. SNOP, you know, sort of overtook that and it became an SNOP discussion. And when I was working in the early part of my um, planning excellence role in Shell, I really wanted to try and see if I could bring a volume-value-based forecasting SNOP process to life in the, the Shell business. At the time, the, the vendors, Ollie White and Steel Wedge, were, were starting to mobilise the IBP sort of uh, mission in industry, which was just a rebadged SNOP with some dollar in it, in my view. And I think I couldn't go down that route because in, just in the, in the relationship in the business within uh, the Lubes business, planning wasn't really a hook that I could really put this on. So I couldn't go out and launch an IBP because I would just miss so much of the audience. And why is that, Nick? Why would you have missed the audience? Be, 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 because planning is a function and marketing is a function, sales is a function. And I think if you try and engage sales and marketing in something which is named or carries the word that is planning which is kind of relevant to the other function, you kind of disengage them from the start because it sounds like it's the other function. Isn't that something you should be doing? But if you want to have value-based discussions around the impact of business plans and forecasts, you absolutely have to have your sales and marketing colleagues at the table to make rational, value-based trade-off discussions. So working with the, um, some of the regional team and the global team at the time, we brainstormed what should we do about this. We agreed that valuating the process would be good so we could make value-based, dollar-based decisions. And we, and we really landed on calling it IBV because integrated business value, the value piece is something that doesn't matter where you are in the organization, you can align yourself behind a value-based decision. And this carried a lot of traction. This, this helped us to avoid the, the objection to it being a function, a siloed planning thing. And I think SNOP suffers from that as well. At one point, I was going to brand it sort of dollar and OP because I could just put a dollar instead of the S, but that didn't kind of carry the same thing. Uh, but, it, but it's been really successful because I think the... That sort of just moment of a, a very small coalition of us just brainstorming what we could call it has transcended into a vocabulary which has you know, lasted and, and has been extended in the business for the last six or seven years. So it's carried some weight and it's become meaningful and it's part of the DNA of the organisation. And how did you define value? Uh, value is very easy to define in most cases. It's the, dollar, it's the dollar equivalent of what you're doing. And the dollar equivalent might be... We express it in ratios, so probably something that you would recognise very well in terms of, of, of blended metrics. So we would look at uh, ratios of inventory versus sale and work out where do we think we're healthy in that. And we could dollarise that. You know, we could put the, 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 the inventory value over the sales value and come out with a sensible metric. In itself, it's an arbitrary metric. But if you put those on a sliding scale and look at your product portfolio, your tail, your fast movers, your slow movers, and say, wow, not selling a lot of that but it's costing me an awful lot to make, then you, you start to see a ratio, which is really unpopular. And so in doing so, you can prioritize your value discussions using some analytics, using some you know, kind of cutting edge analytics at the time, to dice and slice and say, okay, let's look at country X. Where are we healthy? Where are we not healthy? What should we do about the not healthy stuff? 
Is that cutting the tail? Is that adjusting the inventory levels? So we might, we might not be able to cut the portfolio, but should we adjust the inventory levels, adjust the MOQs? Should we multi-source? Should we source from somewhere else so that we can consolidate production with another factory and maybe take the hit on logistics costs or some other optimization type decision? And by putting the dollar against that, you take away the arbitrariness of those conversations because it's, it's very black and white, which is the most cost-effective decision we can make for the, for the business. There's a couple of characteristics in my stories I hear from Nick. One is, let's make it real, whether it's a simulation of DDMRP or the visibility of value. The second is, let's sell the concept, right? You, you spent time to sell the concept and onboard this concept. And the third is, you're just pretty humble, right? And, uh, you know, you're not forcing them. Um, does that fit you know, as you think about your career and driving this change? Um, I, I think I've had success in driving change through that. And I think, you know, sometimes you don't get it right. You know, you, you might sort of go in a little too hard and push a little bit too hard when an audience isn't ready. Um, sometimes you might pitch a little bit more detail than a stakeholder is, is ready for at that point. So I think uh, one thing I've learned over time is to try and read the audience a little bit and just make sure you pitch at the right level. That helps. Making it real, though, is probably just a reflection of my, probably a bit of my personality, but also my background. You know, I've, I've been operational. I've been a shift manager in a production floor in a very, very big FMCG plant. I've been a production planning manager. And I've, I've done these roles. And whilst my career has been relatively long, I've not forgotten what it was like to do those jobs. So I always find that it's much more effective to speak empathetically to the group that you're wanting to make change with. And if that means operational folks or if that's uh, uh, stakeholders, then uh, making it real is certainly a, a key to doing that. Well, Nick, we loved having you at the Global Summit. And the title of your presentation was Incrementality is Not Enough. That's right. And, you know, about the same time you developed the presentation, I wrote a blog post with the same title. So we laughed, you know, we're yes, kind yeah. of sharing like minds. Why did you say that, and what do you see that others should do to do a step change so we're not talking about just making incremental improvement but really taking a step change? I used that title really to try and help inspire other business leaders to take a look at the priorities and initiatives that they are running right now and ask, ask themselves, am I just trying to work harder with the same stuff? Or is there an alternative I need to look at? Because, in truth, supply chains have been working hard for a long time. You know, and I can speak for the, the organisation and the staff in that organisation that I'm with now and also previous organisations. And you see teams very dedicated to service, very dedicated to performance. And it, it, it does feel that uh, businesses are becoming more complex, customer needs are becoming more complex. And in a forecast-driven supply chain, forecasting is getting harder. And there's there's beyond the demand sensing, there's not a lot of technology help coming from the vendors in that space. So I think incremental, incrementalism is not enough really reflects the fact that you can't just keep running faster, jumping higher, pushing harder with the staff, and that will translate as working longer hours, uh, feeling more stress, firefighting more, maybe cutting corners, making decisions, which are all quite difficult, stressful things to do. And sometimes maybe think outside of the working on just the same old things 
and just expecting them to give you better results, that sometimes you have to make a paradigm shift where the incremental stuff isn't going to get you where you want to be, that every now and then, and it's not very often in supply chain, every now and then there are opportunities to do something differently. And I think if, if incrementalism not being enough has resonated with some of the conference members this week, then I, I like to feel that I've made the contribution that I wanted to make this week. Oh, you made a great contribution, and we appreciate you being at the Global Summit. And any last words for the audience before we close? Uh, no, I would just uh, like to thank you, Laura, for the conference this week. I think it's been very insightful. I've really enjoyed hearing some industries which I'm not so familiar with, but are ex- experiencing the same things that I'm, I'm familiar with, but also seeing some of the innovation that some of these guys are, are thinking around. And, and whilst digital is a, a little bit of a, a thing which is difficult for us to get our hands around right now, as is blockchain, as are some of the other things, uh, my suspicion is they won't go away. You know, we have to get our hands around them. And I think seeing what some of the companies have been presenting this week has been uh, very insightful for me. And uh, thanks, for, Frank, thanks for bringing the, the team together to do that. Well, thanks, Nick. This is Laura Ciceri signing out. Until next time.